welcome to the Disrupted Workforce, simplifying today's massive disruptions to work, skills, purpose, and what it means to be human with honest conversation, actionable insight, and a sense of humor. I'm Alex Schwartz. And I'm Nate Thompson. And we are your humble hosts. We started the Disrupted Workforce in the pandemic because we knew we were on the precipice of historic disruption and transformational change to work, skills, career, and identity. We wanted to start a conversation and help professionals of all types make sense of these disruptions, adapt, and grow. So welcome to season two. Okay, so here we are almost two years later and nearly half of the employees in the US are still working remotely. Even more are hybrid. Over the past seven months, we have seen record quits. More than 28 million Americans have quit their jobs. And in the most recent data, job openings were north of 11 million. This, this is, is insane. Most, I know this is the most movement in the history of tracking labor, especially in health, technology, hospitality, and retail. While some are saying it will be worse next year, recent data also shows that this shift is less about quitting and more about an opportunity for career growth. I would I love say, that. yeah, man, I would say this year was a preview for what's coming next year. The chance to seize the moment and switch things up for a more positive future. And we are all about that. In this episode, we will discuss the great resignation, a term coined by Anthony Klotz, an organizational psychologist at Texas A&M. A mind-numbing number of articles have been written on the topic. So our focus is to do something different. We want to paint a full menu of reasons why Americans are quitting, changing, and switching it up. Our goal is to help you understand the key implications and what to consider if you're contemplating your next move. Alex, more people have quit than ever, and there are more reasons than ever to quit. I love that. I love that line. We at TDW have captured 15 reasons broken into two categories personal, and professional. We think this is the most comprehensive list out there, and we did all this research so you don't have to. The first category is personal. Number one, languishing and aimlessness. This is a lack of direction, a feeling of a lack of progress, a lack of energy. Two, existential experience and finding purpose and meaning. Three, working from anywhere and possibly moving. Four, parents struggling with childcare coverage and the cost of childcare. Five, stimulus payment. Six, health and safety regarding the pandemic, pre-existing conditions, and family health reasons. These are the professional reasons. Number one, burnout and stress. It's more complicated than just work. It's the heaviness and the stress of all that is the pandemic. As my wife would say, all the things, all the things. <laughs> Two, tra traditional, can I say dinosaur leadership. This is Leaders trying to force, control, treat their people as objects and as a commodity. Three, the great rudeness, hostile and even violent customers. Four, better work treatment and conditions. Five, better compensation. Six, recruiters poaching talent in a talent war. And yes, we are in a talent war. Seven, more agency, autonomy and flexibility. Eight, resistance. You can't force me to do X and seven. Everyone else is doing it, baby. This is professional FOMO. 
All right, Nate. So let's hear that list again, as it might actually sound in somebody's head that's considering all these reasons. Fuck, I'm stuck. I feel like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day, and I'm dealing with you only live once, this existential experience, so YOLO, I am ready for some zip code zooming. We're gonna get out of here, but it's the kids, man. That's why I'm going, because I can't deal with all these things, and I may just want to get paid in the shade and collect stimmy checks rather than get a new job because I don't want to get overexposed because my family and my personal health and safety are really important, but I'm running on empty. Oh, these kids. I got all this burnout and stress and I'm dealing with lost leadership at work and the great rudeness of these horrible and hostile customers and coworkers. And I just want to get to an upgraded environment, but you better show me the money, Jerry, and Flex it like yoga, because flexibility is so critical in my life now. I am ready to get poached, but recruiters, my body is a temple. You can't force me to wear a mask, go into the office, or get vaxxed, even though I have FOMO, because everybody else is quitting and getting a better job than the one I got. So it's an intersection, Alex, of reasons. It's not one, it's not two, it's not three. We have 15 different reasons, and people are somewhere in the mix on that. Yeah, completely right. That's exactly, exactly right. It is a blend of motivations, and people are figuring out what is the thing that's pushing them to make these big, big life decisions. So a lot of these have been discussed to death, right? But we want to double-click on a few that we feel are the most meaningful to unpack. And in a podcast that's focused on purposeful and meaningful work, it's really hard to ignore the existential. So let's talk about the notion of the you only live once or YOLO career, also known as later losers, I'm out of here, see ya, bye-bye. According to a special report by Prudential, 50% quit because they wanted a greater sense of purpose. That is a huge percentage. The pandemic has caused deep life reflection for so many of us. In December, as we record this, 800,000 people have died in the U.S. and far more globally. Now, it's normal after this seemingly unreal experience of the pandemic to question everything, work, life, relationships. I think it's easy to disassociate with how incredibly hard those first few months of the pandemic were Now that we have the vaccine, better treatments if you do contract it, and more freedoms, even if new variants like Omicron and the acceleration of cases and a fourth wave are still front page news. But the fact is, it is normal to ask, if I'm not promised tomorrow, am I happy? Is this the quality of the life that I want? Do I want to stay at this job or in this industry? Steve Jobs famously said, remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. That really resonates with people now. I've thought a lot about purpose since prioritizing personal growth in my mid-20s. In more recent years, losing my dad, becoming a dad, and my own intense quarantine experience all brought deep reflection on purpose. My conviction is purpose is to continuously grow and not get stuck plateau. Now, neither Nate or I are smart or egotistical enough, maybe maybe I am, to tell you the foolproof way to find your purpose. But here's three things to consider because we love to give you things in threes. First, it's super noteworthy that many people quitting to find purpose are starting their own companies 
or pursuing more entrepreneurial ventures. A record four and a half million new business applications were submitted in 2020. That's a 25% increase year over year. Unsurprisingly, many report leaving high paying steady jobs for personally fulfilling work. I think this is amazing, but Nate and I know firsthand that entrepreneurship is hard, right? And we wonder how many of these folks will come back to more traditional work in a year or two. Second, it's crucial to mention that for some during the pandemic, their purpose may have switched from career achievement to more personal goals, such as nurturing relationships. Now, I'm a fan of Harvard Business School professor Clayton M. Christensen, who wrote the 2012 book, How Will You Measure Your Life, and taught a course on it. Now, Clayton passed away in 2020, not from COVID, but he leaves some powerful wisdom behind. A key notion is that it's easy to validate your life from the immediate gratification that work-oriented achievement can provide without realizing what can be lost without bringing the same rigor and focus to family and relationships. Third, and this is a little bit controversial in terms of advice, but the idea that just be mindful of following your passion. Scott Galloway, NYU Stern professor, podcaster, and author of multiple books, wrote in his book, The Algebra of Happiness, quote, people who speak at universities, especially at commencement, who tell you to follow your passion, or my favorite, don't give up, are already rich. Your job is to find something you're good at, and after 10,000 hours of practice, get great at it. The emotional and economic rewards that accompany being great at something will make you passionate about whatever that something is. Alex, Clayton had it right, and making that shift does lead to a better quality of life, which is the next one, better quality of life. Get your shit, honey. We're out of here. Honey, I'm grabbing my shit. All right. In the past, we stayed close to our place, right, of employment for obvious reasons. But the pandemic changed that, maybe forever. If your work can be done remotely, it's reasonable for individuals and families to reconsider where they live. Can we have a better quality of life, better schools, be closer to family, combine resources, lower our cost of living, and handle changes that need to be handled anyway? While it seemed like everyone was quarantining at home, they were actually moving in larger numbers than usual. Let's look at the data, right? USPS mail forwarding from February to July of 2020 requests were up 3.9% from the same time the previous year. And there have been more than 15.9 million requests in 2020. And this has been confirmed by the Harvard Joint Center for Housing Studies. Thank you, Harvard. (laughs) Thank you, Harvard. But there is more. Why are we talking about Harvard so much? But there is more to this. We saw historically low rates. YOLO, as Alex said, was a big factor, and the largest generation in the world, millennials, has entered their 30s, which is prime time to go from renting to buying. They've got money, and they want to spend it. One of my favorite stories is of Paul Voltema, who's an Amazon executive who works from his boat. In In his flippy flappies. It's so cool. In November, Paul shared with me his Instagram page called Working Remotely, And his pictures are glorious. You win, Paul. You win. I was one of those moves, right? 19 years in New York and took this big leap of faith to move to Miami. Yeah. You're you're just going from big to bigger, baby. 
All right. Remote and hybrid work is unlocking a whole new world for individuals and families. And this directly connects with flexibility, purpose, and YOLO. Yes, we are um, uh, experiencing some jobs that have different requirements, and that's fine. They need to be on-prem. They need to be in-person. But progressive leaders who value their people and want to remain competitive in a talent war realize that as long as the work is getting done, it's far better to give your employees choice. Completely, completely, completely true. Okay, so let's get into the great rudeness because this is just mind-blowing. My friend Colin sends me this video over the summer that I think says a lot about what's happening. And this is a Frontier flight attendant recounting how he had to deal with a very unruly passenger on the plane. So cue, cue the audio. Now understand something. I'm a flight attendant. That means I attend the flights. Sometimes our job has us attending to crazy people. If you push us too far, you're gonna have to attend this ass whooping. You see, because on this particular flight, I'm sitting in a jump seat and I'm just looking at him like the damn fool. He's spitting and cussing and going crazy. I say, that's enough. I got up and I walked over there. And by the way, this man smelled like a pack of Marlboro cigarettes, uh, four shots of Everclear alcohol, and regret. So I know something's about to go down. At this point, he touching all over my coworker's breast. And where he fucked up at is when he touched my titties. Cause I don't play that. So what I did is I took out the duct tape. I said, <laughs> he got scared, start stuttering, say, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. I said, yeah. We about to mummify your ass now, boy. So we wrapped him up. Better than any Christmas present you ever see. He won't be coming on no more Frontier flights at all. Oh, my God. That is just amazing. I could listen to that all day. I mean, he is such a character and so brave. And the sound effects. I mean, It's kind of horrifying, but it's also amazing because of what they're going through. But at the same time, how he's made it so funny and playful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and rose to that occasion. And, and, and and this is, I mean, this is not part of the job description when you become an airline attendant, right? Um, Related directly to this in the airline industry, the great rudeness is occurring. Uh, Since last June, it was reported that a number of unruly passengers had already broken records and yes, people are being duct taped to airline seats. Now, Nate, did you hear about the woman in Philly who pulled a gun out in Chipotle? No. So this Chipotle is short staff, right? Like so many restaurants nowadays. And they asked the in-store customers who are waiting there to order online. Well, she didn't want to. So she pulls a gun out and says, there's going to be a problem if someone doesn't take my order now and make my food. Because that's, this, you know, that's what you do, right? That's what you do. I mean, if you, if you, if, I mean, if you're going to get skimped on guac, pull out your glock. <laughs> That's that's no that's guac. it. No guac. Here's my Glock. How about the Cape Cod restaurant that closed for half a day to offer its employees a day of kindness as a refuge from verbal abuse from customers? Now, this actually got national attention on social media from other restaurants talking about similar experiences. OK. Much of the great rudeness being documented by the media is in the hospitality sector where there's a disproportional number of quits compared to other industries, right? But there is good data that supports the fact that rudeness is rapidly rising 
everywhere. And this is problematic not only for feeling safe, but also for productivity. Now, according to business psychologist James Bywater, incivility or rudeness distracts people's attention and narrows their perspective, reducing their ability to make decisions and learn new things. When you add in the burnout that many are already feeling, this experience of rudeness can easily compound and be a catalyst to quit. I think it's worth calling out that during the pandemic, many felt a sense of grace a sense that we're all in this together, and a deep reverence and respect for frontline and essential workers. In spite of being cooped up for months and now being allowed to mostly run free, we can't forget that. So, people, the next time you're about to rip your server, customer rep, or coworker a new one, ask yourself, how do I want to be remembered in this moment? Now, this internal prompt has kept me out of a lot of trouble at work and also from sleeping on the couch at home, guys. You know what I'm talking about. I do know what you're talking about. Speaking of rude, how about one CEO who recently called his employees dumb dolphins? This is straight dinosaur leadership. There has been a bifurcation in leadership. Leaders are naturally sifting into two camps, traditional leaders and future leaders. A prime example of this is a tone-deaf leader from better.com who fired 900 employees over three minutes, over Zoom, while accusing them of stealing. Regardless of the reason you consider the message that was sent to the entire company and culture, and there are plenty of people chatting about this on LinkedIn saying, well, it's hard to be a CEO. That's crap. Coyle wrote a book, an excellent book called Culture Code, where he said employees are always asking three questions. Am I safe? Do I belong? Can I see my future here? The message Vishal, who's the CEO of Better.com, sent to his organization is you are not safe, you do not belong, and you do not have a future here. That is not leadership. That's destruction of a culture. Despite all that's happened, some traditional leaders still think and say cringy things like when things get back to normal and we need to have a full return to the office and uh, when when can we get all the butts back in seats? Nathaniel, when can we get the bots back in the seats? Nathaniel (laughs) Thompson, tell me. As we have seen over the course of the pandemic, several prominent organizations like Apple have made headlines by trying to force their employees to come back to work. And naturally, the employees just push back. That's why you see open letters to the leadership like, hey, we have to be thoughtful about this. Multiple surveys reveal that U.S. employees would start looking for another job or quit immediately if ordered to return to the office. We're seeing ranges from 40% to 60% saying, hey, I will leave if you try to force me to do this. Personally, I spent almost six years commuting, approximately 780 hours per year. That's 4,680 hours or 195 days of commuting. I've never done this math life, Alex, and I got into the pandemic and I was listening to someone who said, calculate how much commuting you've done. And I went, oh my gosh, I have no idea. I blew my mind. And then the first thought I had was, this is how much time I've been away from my family, sitting in a car. Your, your wife, Heather, told me that not even the dog missed you, Nate. <laughs> Come on. All right. We've seen some amazing leadership through the pandemic. 
Tons of leaders have stepped up in a beautiful, beautiful way. But Better.com CEO is an example that there are still leaders playing command and control, throwing veiled threats, and playing shaming games. The world has changed, and the employee experience has fundamentally changed. It is not going back. So invite an inclusive conversation. Listen. Seek to understand the nuances and needs. Run some experiments and keep adjusting until you find what works in your company. Finally, an apology is better than nothing. And this is a great story. Thank you to Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman for admitting in December that he was wrong to demand the return of his staff. And, and he said he was going to cut their pay if they didn't. So he just came back and said, I was wrong. We aren't ready. And I really, I really think that was important for everyone to hear. Speaking of flexibility, is it just me or has work shifted and it's like yoga now? For decades, we've been marching to this rigid eight to five commute, office building centric rat race paradigm. Remember all those old rigid sayings that held companies back? Like that's not the way we do things around here. And we tried that and it failed. And I wouldn't do that if I were you. And the last person I heard, person that, I heard that one a lot. Anymore. What's that? I wouldn't do that if I were you. I heard that one a lot, Nate. <laughs> it's so silly. The last person who spoke up isn't here anymore, right? That tall poppy syndrome. Just put your head down and do your job. All that soul-crushing crap. Well, it's a new day and a new world of work has emerged. Literally, astonishingly, work is like a hot yoga sesh where everyone is bending and flexing into their tripod headstand with lotus legs. Drew Houston, a co-founder and CEO of Dropbox, said, I see the 40-hour office work week as an artifact of factory work. I just said a moment ago, dinosaur leadership. It's so good to hear this. Saying it's factory work. It's that old. Finally becoming a thing of the past. Employees will escape grueling commutes and gain more control over their day. That's the autonomy and agency. That's the flexibility we talked about in the beginning. Beyond the remote, hybrid, and virtual first, we are contactless, digital first, and all companies are now tech companies. What's more, leaders are focused on things like wellness, empathy, vulnerability, and transparency. Culture isn't contained in a building. You can hire amazing talent anywhere. Diversity is finally a real focus. Mental health is vital, and employees will resign if you don't listen to their unique needs. Just for a second, take that in. That is a completely different world than where we were in 2019. Maybe, just maybe, our new work paradigm is flexibility is the future, flexibility is the way. Nate, this is totally real. I spoke to a top HR manager at Estee Lauder the other day, and she validated flexibility is the number one thing candidates and current employees are asking for. It's yeah. all about flexibility now. Yeah, I found something similar. The Society for Human Resource Management found in their August 2021 survey that the number one reason employees are leaving is flexibility. And they had that noted at 56% of responders listed that as number one. In related news, McKinsey's recent research states that it's time for a, an employee experience transformation. This means the whole thing, leaders and organizations must reinvent the way the employees engage the organization, their journey, and their overall experience. So uh, Willis Towers Watson said 92% of leaders 
are enhancing the employee experience, and this is going to be an important priority at their organizations over the next three years. That was up from 52%, from 92%, from 52 But what's the other side of the story? I have two words for you, Alex. Side hustle, and this mm-hmm. relates back to your data before, right? Through the pandemic, employment has been rocky, income has been sporadic, inflation is up, and no more commuting means people have space for a side hustle to make extra cash. So here are some of the quick stats. October 2020 Lending Tree Survey found 2,000 Americans, nearly half, considered starting a side hustle. Of the Americans surveyed who currently have a side gig, they found that 53% depend, and this is key, depend on that income to make ends meet. Americans under 40 are the most likely to depend on their side gigs and, and work side gigs at the highest rates. Zapier's survey earlier this year confirmed the same. Americans are planning to start a side hustle. And I think that's just because we're at home, right? We can do that. You can start a job with an email and no one would even know. No one would know. I was having a recent conversation with a CRO in banking and I asked him his biggest work epiphany in the pandemic. He said this, the blockages have been us. We, the leaders, have been making up all these excuses in our bank and in our industry about why we can't change. It turns out, with the right push, we can do it virtually overnight. I think it takes a courageous leader to own that truth. And that just might be an insight that's universal for all of us. I think that quote is so incredibly powerful and so true and the the humility to acknowledge that um, and acknowledge that to his workforce. That's that's courage. That's courage right there. Yeah. So speaking of side hustle, a friend of mine is now head of innovation at GM and just shared on social media this video of being driven around in one of their new driverless cars. And it is. It is Blade Runner type stuff, man. It is, it is wild. But it can't be a lot of fun to see this if you're an Uber driver or a Postmate. And that's a strong reminder that while there are 15 reasons to quit, here's a reason to stay. And it's cue the robots. So if The Great Resignation were a Star Wars movie, this would be called Automation Strikes Back. Something we've been talking a lot about here at the Disrupted Workforce is how AI, automation, and robotics have accelerated during the pandemic. The fact remains machines don't get sick, they don't need to quarantine, and they don't need to take time off. Now, as a result, many companies are leveraging AI and automation with hockey stick-like growth since 2020. Employers are leveraging these technologies as a means to keep their business alive, deal with all these staffing and supply chain issues, work faster, and cut labor costs. Now, according to economists at MIT and BU, robots could replace as many as 2 million workers in manufacturing by 2025. Look, guys, this is not all bad news, as the great promise of automation is to allow humans to perform more meaningful tasks and allow the automation or robots to take away some of the drudgery. But of course, this is not always the case. In the restaurant industry, technology solutions to replace workers are happening fast. Example, Miso Robotics Flippy Robot, a robot that's in the pilot stage to flip burgers for Cali Burger and White Castle. 
Now this little robot is punching above its weight class and preparing to fry wings for Buffalo Wild Wings. McDonald's also testing automated voice ordering for the drive-thru and looking at ways to automate kitchen fryers and grills. Look guys, robots and automation are proving their worth in just about every industry. To bring this to life, I was at my very first in-person Future of Work conference over the summer here in Miami. And I'm in a one-on-one conversation with a player in the technology space who tells me he had a client who is the biggest frozen food manufacturer in the country, or one of the biggest. And they'd automated their end-to-end processing, their end-to-end processing and packing plants last year. So previously, each plant had 5,300 workers. Today, it is operated by three workers. This is pretty staggering. We could spend a whole episode discussing the other examples of AI, automation, and robots disrupting the workforce, and I promise this is something we'll be discussing a lot this year. In the meantime, if you are interested in learning more, you can email us at alex at disruptedwork.com or nate at disruptedwork.com, and we'll send you information on upcoming future of work workshops we're producing to help individuals and organizations grapple with these topics and formulate future-proof skills for employees. The point is, whether we like it or not, for many jobs, the competition is now technology, not just another human. 100% agree, Alex. That's a great call out, and it's competitive out there on all fronts. It is not a doomsday story, just important to keep our eyes on that one. The most important part is a completely new world of work is emerging, and it's about time. We can celebrate this. And for many, it's a job hopper's paradise. Now is a great time to take advantage of all of these exciting opportunities. You're totally right. I quit. (laughs) You quit. I quit the disrupted workforce effective immediately. No, seriously, folks, you do need to be thoughtful about how you approach this important opportunity. Sure, the window is open, but the real effort The real effort is to reflect and deeply consider how you can improve the quality of your life, personally and professionally, regardless of which of our 15 reasons are compelling you to make a change, impulsiveness, overreacting, and failure to consider your core values are all barriers to brilliant decision-making. Thank you for being with us today. In a world where attention is scarce and content is abundant, it means a lot. If you like what you heard, please be sure to give us a rating. Five-star reviews are, of course, acceptable, and please also share this with your people at work and at home. The Disrupted Workforce was created to address the transformational change that's already begun and to help individuals and organizations grow in these dynamic times. We are excited to be on this journey with you, and we are here to help. See you next episode.